Shall we begin? All right, everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Frankly Francisco podcast. You folks already know who I am. I'm excited. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Joe Champlin has come back to the show. This time we are going to speak on special needs kids. This is going to be more of an in-depth podcast about how to handle certain situations as a parent dealing with a special needs child. Um, As we all know from the last podcast, Joe let us know that he has two children on the spectrum. I have a couple of children on the spectrum as well. So this was a very important episode that I wanted to get out because a lot of parents sometimes don't know how to deal with this stuff. So Joe, please enlighten us a little bit, man. Let us know um, some of the, the ins and outs and some of the pressure that comes along with having a special needs child. So the big thing is getting the diagnosis so that you actually know. So before my youngest was diagnosed, uh, he was diagnosed in October-ish, November-ish. The year before he was uh, in kindergarten and his teacher who was in her last year um, realized that he was special needs but didn't tell us, didn't say anything. So she was using a lot of the strategies that I've learned since then and we weren't aware of it. So he had a good year. And she did things like having like a weighted blanket for him uh, that was on his legs and stuff like that. And she let us know that it seems like he's having trouble seeing. So that's why we got his eyes tested and it turned out they had horrible eyesight in addition to ADHD and autism. So it was like having a drunk teenager in Las Vegas was what his experience in school was. But that summer, he got thrown out of three different programs in a three week time period. So like on my birthday, I show up to pick him up from uh, the uh, camp that he's at with his older brothers. And they're like, you have to take him away. He's not allowed here. Cause he was throwing rocks at kids and he spat at somebody, which looking back, those are behaviors of a kid with autism reacting because they don't understand and are out of control but at that point i had no clue and so like i yell at him because i'm all upset it ruined my birthday literally and you know some old biddy saw and called cps so i had to deal with that all summer long of people coming to my house to make sure i wasn't a bad parent and all that so just all that angst and energy and you know confusion after the start of the school year, you know, his teacher's like, hey, he's doing this and this. You need to go get him tested for autism. And it took another couple of weeks to get him on in. But then we had the diagnosis and the ADHD. And it was like, okay, now we can start figuring out a plan. Now we can understand. So getting that diagnosis first is something that I think is very important because I can't tell you the number of kids who are not diagnosed until much later. I mean, my one son, my oldest, who's on the spectrum, uh, he's in Asperger's, in addition to being bipolar, he was not diagnosed until a couple of years after Colin, because I'm like, he's got these tendencies. So it was, if I didn't know about 
Colin, my youngest, I'm not allowed to say his name because of the divorce, sorry, bleep that out. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to realize it for my older son. And so after learning that and being able to see it, I, one of the ladies on my running team, you know, she's telling me stories about her son and things and that. And I sat down and, you know, spent a little bit of time with him. I'm like, he is probably on the spectrum, go get him tested. And she did. And he was able to start getting the help that he needed. So it is, you know, there's this stigma still that's 20 years old of, you know, this issue. Special needs kids, we're all special needs in some way. We all have these different sliders like on a uh, audio mixing deck of where things are for us. And some kids, it's just slid really far in particular directions. And that is now interpreted as special needs. And so it's just, you need to treat and interact with them a little bit differently, understanding the way they process. So absolutely, I agree with you 100% that there's a stigma still around this because a lot of schools don't know how to handle this. So what they do is they just stick them in special ed and don't realize a lot of these kids who are on the spectrum are actually geniuses that are not, that are not, their talents are not being cultivated and their, you know, their brain is not being used properly because the schools don't know how to handle their temperament. They don't know how to I went to, to engineering down. school and engineers are over representative of people with Asperger's. And I was actually a physicist and there were people who were straight up, you know, several steps further down on the spectrum in my physics program. It's just the way it is. And so we actually see a tendency of kids on the spectrum to have incredibly high ability within the math and science realms. Well, look at Elon Musk, one of the richest, the, the richest man in the world. Yeah. He's had, he has Asperger's. And so. he's not the first. You know, if you look at technology leaders, it happens over and over again. You know, I'd, I'd bet you uh, uh, Waz, one of the co-founders of Apple, he's probably on the spectrum someplace. And uh, having like interacted with technology founders in a lot of ways. And it, here's the thing, as my son says, He's just a mutant, and that happens to be a superpower. So if you look at it that way, any mutant that has a superpower also has weaknesses that go along with it. He just happens to have a slightly lower capacity to recognize and understand human emotions and the curves that life has. So we just spend some time to work on that so that he understands. And over time, he was mainstreamed in school and he still needs a little bit of extra help. But most of these kids have the capacity to function as long as there is some awareness around those components that they need a little extra in some areas because they are so powerful in other ones. And finding the right place for them in terms of understanding their capabilities is something that if we embrace it more, we're actually going to have a much higher functional level society, whether it's kids on the spectrum or people with, um, you know, like emotional needs or people with, I mean, one of my closest friends, her 
kids had uh, childhood diabetes. And so that's special needs in an entire different capacity. Or my friend Jen, who's got a son with a rare form of brain cancer, which has impacted him. Those are special needs in different ways that impact how those kids grow, how those kids development, um, the needs that they have to, in terms of support, but also how they can ultimately contribute to society. So as a parent, like I am with my son, my youngest son, uh, he's, he's on the spectrum. Uh, they believe it's Asperger's. I mean, this kid, he's, he's smart. I mean, he's a smart kid, but he screams Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't believe. And he's just playing. It's, It's not like he's doing it on purpose. So as a parent, what techniques, because sometimes it drives me up the wall and I have to, sometimes I have to step back and say, it's, it's, it's not his fault. You know what I mean? But how do we go about how, what's are some of the techniques that we can get to try to calm him down or try to reset him where it's not going to upset us and it's not going to upset him? So one thing I would do is I would look for commonalities in terms of things that set him off. It could be a particular scent, a sound, a flavor, a feeling, okay? Like a particular type of cloth could set a kid off. So understanding the sensory overloads that he might be having. And so my youngest had to wear headphones in the class because he couldn't uh, block out the various noises. And so it was just overwhelming. And his eyesight was really bad. So he needed the glasses, which allowed him to focus. Sometimes um, they found that almost swaddling really helps them out. So my kid still likes wearing a mask, even though he doesn't have to, because it provides that pressure that makes him feel comfortable. There's a reason why you swaddle babies and make them really tight, make a baby burrito basically, because it helps them sleep. So uh, weighted blankets, a weighted vest uh, helped him out because it just pressed down enough to calm him. So these are are some things. um, One of the big things that I do with my youngest is we literally have the reset button. So sometimes he gets up and he literally got up on the wrong side of the bed and it is horrible. He's a monster. I love him dearly, but oh God, is he a monster? And so what I tell him is, hey, we're hitting the reset button. And I go, we put him, I hit the reset button. I put him back in bed. He puts his glasses over. He you know, gets under the covers. I turn out the lights. I walk on out. He you know, literally tries to go back to sleep or just calms down and uh, he picked up some breathing techniques in, from Taekwondo, which is very, very good for special needs kids if there's a good instructor that understands it. So he'd take a whole bunch of deep breaths, get himself calm and resituated. I'd come in, I'd wake him up as if it was a brand new day. So my that, wife- That also gave me time to calm down too. So I no longer wanted to strangle him. So my wife does this with my son, but she does it in the afternoon. So she's found that she's had to put him down for a nap for him to come because he wakes up if he wakes up cranky see they have school so she can't lay him back down you know when they're school so what she does is when school's done she'll lay him down for a nap and it's basically his reset button <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what i mean to calm him down to get up and he's fine afterwards and here, here's why i would answer to the you're saying that you can't do it on days of school shift his schedule by 15 minutes earlier and that builds in that cushion because if he gets up and he has that bad start, then you can put him back to bed and get him out and still be able to get him off to the bus or whatever. 
And so having cushion built in is one of the things that I picked up from my good friend, Jason, whose son is 16 years old and he's almost nonverbal in terms of his autism and still has some explosive issues. So Jason taught me to build in a lot of extra time throughout things and pre-plan stuff with your kid so that your kid understands, hey, when we get to here, if we're going to you know, shopping, we might have to deal with some of these things so that they can think ahead. And it's almost like giving them a flow chart. Okay, if X happens, then you know Y and all this. So for example, with my youngest, we played this out. All right, you know, your birthday is coming up. We're going to go to, to you want what you want to do for your birthday for dinner. I want to go to my favorite restaurant, Sunset. Okay, so that's our primary plan. What are we going to do if Sunset is closed? We play the what if game. Okay, we'll, we'll go to Henry's Dock. Okay, good, all right? And if that is closed also, do we have a backup? Do we need a backup? And my youngest is at an age where he's like, no, if both of them are closed, I don't want to go out for dinner. Okay, right? So the primary plan, secondary plan. Now we go to the restaurant that you want, your favorite restaurant. And what do you want to have for dinner? So he tends to know what he wants beforehand because he always gets the same thing if possible. I want nachos. Okay, so nachos is plan A. What if they don't have that? What's your backup plan? I'm going to do X, okay? And we don't have to go into like 500 layers, but just enough to give him a bit of a preliminary plan so that if things don't go exactly according to the script running in his head, there's not that meltdown. And those meltdowns happen when things don't go directly to their script, which is one of the reasons why a lot of kids on the spectrum don't like uh, fiction. My son hated fiction because he, he likes X, Y, Z. And so in fiction, there's always the plot twist where something unexpected happens and it freaks them out. My son loves fiction. He loves superhero movies. He loves, I mean, he loves all that stuff. He, what calms, tends to calm him down is he loves dogs. When I tell you this kid has an obsession with dogs, every kind, like every stuffed animal he has is a different type of dog. And they're either all named Bud or Buddy. I mean, they're just, he loves, he, that's, that's his, his thing. That's his thing. That's what keeps him calm. Like he's surrounded by it all the time. Like he has a big stuffed dog animal on his bed. He has a little one that he cares. I just got him another one. You know what I mean? But because I know that's what he likes and that's what helps keep him calm. But there are times where he will have a meltdown out of nowhere, even if like there's nothing going on. Like he'll just start, just start going off and just start yelling at his brothers or start yelling, just being snappy out of nowhere. So in those type of situations, how do you go about resetting when, there is, is, there's really nothing, no reason for him to go off, but he has no a reason that we can see, right? But something happened. And so the goal is to get him calm enough mm -hmm. to be able to express what's going on and why. And so you said that with your little guy it is dogs that calm him down. So do you then bring out one of the dogs to say, here, buddy, hold this, you know, pet this little guy, pet buddy. Okay. You know, and get him to stroke it so that 
that repetitive motion for some kids works. It could be the sensation of touching. So find a couple of those stuffed animals that really he enjoys and use them as a psychological anchor for him to recenter himself. Okay. And so it might be a particular stuffed animal. With some kids, it's a scent. With some kids, it's a food. Could be that security blanket. Could be a song for some kids that are more audio driven. That, that thing that allows him to find his center. And also there's going, you need to practice this when he's not in a meltdown mode so that they're developing the skill sets. This is one of the things that the social workers at the school taught us about with my youngest. So every couple of days, they would take him and talk about social skills and what happens in this situation. So they were sort of pre-playing it a little bit in, uh, also. And they had his couple of things that he used to help calm himself down. So like fidget spinners and things like that, that they could have in the classroom, they would have them there. And so he would be playing with them while they're discussing the potential of having a meltdown. And so he would develop these strategies when he was in a calm state so that when he, he was in an amped up or breakdown state, he could attempt to use them or they could introduce them and it would trigger back to these positive calming influences. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, it does. It takes it work makes, though, man. It, it does. Takes it takes a seems, lot of practice. It, it, listen, my son is is very bright. He's very intelligent, but you know, sometimes he, you know, sometimes it's it's hard to calm him down without like I said, the easiest reset button that we have for him is sending him for a nap because that seems to work the best. Lay him down for an hour. He gets back up. He's he's feeling better. He's calm. Uh, you know, the kid loves, the you know, Thor, the third one. Uh, oh, yeah. Favorite. He can watch you see that my movie. Thor's up here. I'm yeah, a Thor he, fan, man. <laughs> he can watch that movie a thousand times, the, the third one, and never gets – I don't care how many times he'll never get tired of watching that movie. So, so I think, by the time this uh, podcast comes out, the fourth Thor is going to be out. Yeah, the fourth Thor, the fourth Thor will be out. He's definitely going to see that. But it's like it's it's certain things that keep that can he can sit there if he likes the movie and it's a movie that he enjoy. He'll sit there quiet. You won't hear peep from him. So it, so like on your phone, have a clip of Thor that you can pull up instantly and use that as a calming effect on him. You know, so like I had a fraternity brother years ago, uh, this is a story from college, who uh, he was ADHD and he would get out of control sometimes and we would throw on Bob Ross. And the instant that he saw Bob Ross, oh, happy little trees, he would calm the hell down. This guy was a six foot six Canadian. Uh, and so it's a stupid thing, but understanding that it's like uh, the winter soldier. They have the phrase to be able to turn him into the winter soldier, yeah. but there's also phrases to turn him off. You know, uh, Natasha Romanoff telling the Hulk, Hey, you know, the sun's going down big guy. W w these are actual concepts that we can apply with our kids, but we can apply these concepts to ourselves. I mean, I hear the opening strains to princes of the universe 
the theme to Highlander, that's my flip the switch song. I hear the opening phrase, I'm ready to go for business. I'm ready to walk on stage because I've used it to program myself mentally for 25 plus years. So bang, I'm ready to hit it. But there's also things that you can do to use the other side, the denouement, if it were, as it were, to calm down. And so you discover those and you have them within your toolbox that you can tap into. So I'm trying to like with my oldest, my oldest was uh, on medication uh, for quite a few years and we took him off when we started doing homeschooling, but he's going back to high school. He's at that age where he needs those social interactions with kids yep. his own age. He needs to be out there and, and see other kids, but he has ADHD. I mean, this is, there's no, this, this is factual. And he's at that age now, he's 15 now where he's, he has aggressive tendencies now and out of nowhere, just being aggressive for no reason. So I am trying to find ways to, you know, deal with him without being, being overly aggressive with him. So what techniques do you think would be for, especially Martial for somebody that age? Martial arts for teenagers is one of the best things because it focuses them. It get, allows them to get their aggression out in a healthy manner. And they also learn what happens if you're overly aggressive. And, you know, so they get punched in the face with a glove. Guess what? They're going to understand it. So they're not going to start regular fights. I was thinking like a boxing, like a punching bag in the backyard or something. For to... That too, so that he's got a controlled way to get it out. But martial arts creates structure mm -hmm. and it gives him instruction so that he's going to do it properly. It gives him something to work towards with the rank system. It, they also, in the good schools, teach meditation. So they're teaching them strategies to calm themselves. And in uh, a sparring situation, whether it's one step or free sparring or what have you, you know, they need to control their aggression. Just wailing away on a punching bag, they don't need to have any control. They don't need to learn control. Gotcha. Sometimes wailing away on the bags, one of the best things in the world. I have a bag in my basement and I wail away on a regular basis. But it's that, okay, I can't go full out. I need to have control here. I need to calm myself so that I don't get hurt or I don't hurt somebody else. It is that in itself is a long-term strategy. And the focus and on fundamentals and the self-control aspects of the martial arts translate incredibly well. You know, in South Korea, they teach taekwondo in the school systems wow and everybody does it and there's a reason why they outperform the united states tremendously on any academic test that you look at it's because they learn the hard work the discipline the repetition of the martial arts which translates to the academic world and they learn self-control they learn self-confidence from accomplishing things instead of getting participation trophies and they also get that daily exercise because our kids are not getting nearly enough exercise i mean they used to have kids have uh recess every single day that they went don't out the anymore. window they've cut back on gym so kids have a much more sedentary lifestyle and they're literally you know, these little balls of energy. So they need to find a way to utilize it. And martial arts is one of the ways to be able to 
focus it and push it out. The other thing is that, like I talk about in the book, is you know consistent effort directed towards something worthwhile is one of the paths to happiness, but it's also creating your excellence. If you work for on one thing for an hour every single day, I don't care if it's martial arts, I don't care if it's practicing an instrument, I don't care if it's learning a language, at the end of a couple of years, you're gonna be excellent in it. And so giving them this opportunity to direct themselves towards something and it's not like they rely on teammates to win the game, like in soccer or baseball or anything else. This is, they are developing themselves into a better version of them. And so with a good instructor who can understand and handle kids with ADHD or autism, like my youngest, uh, his instructor was very good, which is why I brought my sons to him. Then they can grow and develop into the versions of themselves that they have the potential to be. So what I like about where we are now as a society is, is we've developed techniques and ways to help our kids that we didn't know before. Because back when I was a kid, if I was acting out like that, I just get smacked across the head talking about yep. what are you doing? But we we didn't know back then. Parents didn't know back then what we know now. Just like back, you know, back in the 1800s and 1900s, if they thought you were something, they would just lock you up in a sanitarium and yeah. throw away the key. We're not like that anymore. We, we've learned and we evolved and I think we keep evolving. And I think that is something that we have to keep doing because there's always going to be new things that we didn't know that comes out. The one thing is we can't go too far in terms of the understanding because you know what? I have to tell my kid, I don't care that you're, you know, in a bad mood. You got to go to school. <laughs> All right. I don't care that you don't want to do it. You got to take a shower. You got to brush your teeth. These are non-negotiable. So we need to have this embracing of the individual and allowing them to operate within their own parameters, but there's gotta be a certain acceptability threshold. No, my child, you need to shower every two days because you stink, okay? <laughs> so it, and when we embrace them, we are often giving up that, core that discipline that standard and that is really part of the tricky you know balancing act is having the love but having the tough part of tough love yeah and i and i think uh i found i found that balance i'm finding that balance i have no choice because i have five children and they're all different uh you know age ranges my oldest 15 my twins 13 my daughter eight my youngest is seven my youngest the youngest one is the one that has uh, issues as well, you know, and, and so does my, one of my twins and my oldest, um, you know, all my kids have ADHD. The only one that doesn't have ADHD is my daughter. Uh, maybe it hasn't come out yet, but it's a, or know. it could be that she exhibits it because females exhibit ADHD in a different way than boys do. It's not the running around crazy, mm. you know, uncontrollable energy very often is the staring off into space and in their mind, they're riding the unicorn and they're off doing all these other things. <laughs> so it's not as physical as with boys. So my, my goddaughter is ADHD. And so uh, her dad is one of my best friends. We did graduate school together, physics and all this. And he's only got my goddaughter. So it's only one kid. It's not the three kids that I have. And, you know, boys and girls are very differently. But we talk about 
this is how it manifests. And I did not realize that it was how it manifested until we were sitting down having a beer uh, pre-COVID, so three, four years ago, and he was telling me about it. I'm like, oh, I never knew that. And so I went and studied it more and I asked him questions and all this. And he asked about how it's manifesting with boys. And so it is different, but just as important. And girls don't get identified. They don't get Medicaid near as much because if a boy has it and they're disrupting the classroom and turning stuff over and, you know, lighting things on fire or, you know, running out of the classroom, then that grabs the attention mm-hmm. versus the girls just sitting there. Oh, and then why didn't you do your homework? Why didn't you finish the test? And so those could be signs for the f- parents of daughters that maybe their child uh, should be checked out for these situations. So for me, I, listen, I don't care what my kids have. I always encourage my kids, no matter what, you guys can be whatever you want to be. Don't everybody, anybody tell you different. Don't let anybody put you down, say you can't, you can be whatever you want to be. You just have to, you know, put your mind to it and, and get there. And sometimes a career might not work out for you. Go do something else. I was, I did security for 12 years before I got into finance. You know what I mean? If I can make that shift, anybody can make that shift. You just have to put the work in. So before we get out of here, Joe, do you have anything that you're working on right now that you want to share with the public? Um, I'm just continuing to work on the building and sharing everyday excellence because one of the things that I want to do, and this is, you're going to say I'm crazy, but you know, you know me well enough to say that, that I want to reach a hundred million people in the next 12 months in some capacity with my message, where it's through podcasts like this, where it's through radio interviews, where it's through writing, um, essays and articles, blog posts, you know, people don't even need to buy my book. They can go to the website and they can get other ideas. There's an entire uh, environment there designed to help people unlock their excellence. The book helps and gives it a more guided focus. And yeah, that pays me versus the other things. But if I can reach 100 million people and have some form of positive impact on them, what's that going to do for those individuals? What's that going to do for our communities? What's that going to do for our society? If I can reach out and hit these many people, even on a tiny little basis, make their lives a half a percent better overall. What's that going to do for our community, our country, our world? So that's really where my drive is at this point is I don't care how I do it, what media we use. I want to be able to impact more people. So thank you for bringing me back on here, Francisco, because this allows us to be able to serve your listeners and your community in a slightly different manner and give them tools and techniques to be able to help them and their kids become better versions of themselves. So it's not the normal sort of conversation I have, but thank you for letting me have it with you. Listen, you're a man of many talents. So I'm going to be, you know, me and you're going to be a regular, you're going to be a regular on the show. So we're going to have you on quite a few more times. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, we could just always pick a different subject if you've done so much. But before we jump off, I like to tell everybody, like I always tell everybody, if you found your purpose, no matter what anybody says to you, live it. Thank you folks for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. Have a good night. <laughs>